Turn us on and the satisfaction's guaranteed. Frank discussion with passion on CJD 800. Welcome to the Friday edition of Passion, where just about anything goes. I will share with you some stories that we are following, some studies, new new research out that has to do with sexuality. Uh, we're going to talk about what are men actually paying for when they pay for sex, research on that. Uh, we'll talk about male robots, sex robots, love sex robots. Can they really replace men? We'll find out what you think about that. And when do online dating delete their apps those stories and more after 10 15 but first let's take a look at the inbox make a connection anytime at 514-800 you can also email me your questions to laurie at drlaurie.com anytime but feel free to text me even throughout the show and i will be happy to answer uh, your questions at 514-800 Uh, Hey, Doc, thanks for your time. My question is about all the women that claim they don't orgasm with clitoral stimulation, and you claim that as well. I say most women orgasm with, oh, without clitoral stimulation. Uh, My wife would say otherwise. I always ask her after sex if she orgasmed. She always tells me, what's the difference? Uh, She shakes and trembles a lot during uh, sex, but she can't pinpoint the difference. Is she just super sensitive and she rarely lets me give her oral. She only wants sex, meaning intercourse. Can you talk about sensitivity and longevity differences in women? So let me just uh, talk about this. It's true that upwards of 80% of women need clitoral stimulation to reach orgasm and do not orgasm with intercourse alone. So if, if there is some kind of clitoral contact during the intercourse, then uh, yes, for example, um, stimulating the clitoris at the same time as intercourse or finding a position where there's pressure put on the pubic area, which could uh, also stimulate the, the clitoris. The clitoris is not just the little nub that you feel with oral sex, for example, or with your hands. It is actually quite a large structure with a head, like a penis, a shaft, like the penis. I mean, it's, listen, we all start off with that. Um, And then uh, two bulbs that uh, sit uh, on the, uh, like around the vaginal canal on the outside, right? There are these bulbs there. So women can feel some women anyway, depending on their anatomy. And there was research done on this that actually showed that those women that were able to orgasm with intercourse were women whose opening, the vaginal opening, was a shorter distance from their clitoris than women who couldn't. And apparently there's just, I guess, far more women where the the uh, distance is greater. So, um, it also depends on many other factors like the stimulation of the G spot. Some women really enjoy like with finger inside with a come here motion. It's the, the G spot area, which really is also thought to be, it has nerve endings there, but, uh, palpating that area or stimulating that area can also be stimulating part of the internal organ of the uh, the internal part of the clitoris as well 
Um, sometimes it has to do with uh, the angle of a penis or uh, the, the width of a penis. That can make a difference as well. So the, and, and you know, when you say your wife says like, what's the difference? She's right. What's the difference? However I orgasm, I orgasm. What's the difference, whether it comes from the clitoral stimulation or intercourse, you just have some women that don't have the same sensitivity in the clitoris as they do in the internal structure. So it's just the differences. It's not really, it's hard to explain. There hasn't been much research done on that kind of anatomy, uh, except for the one I just uh, told you about in terms of the, the distance. So the reality is, does it, does it matter? An orgasm is an orgasm is an orgasm. Does it matter where it actually, uh, comes from? Just Drew says, you should never ask, did you orgasm question? It shouldn't matter. And that's a good point that you bring up in the sense that for a lot of men, the culmination of sex happens with orgasm. In other words, the satisfaction equals, did I orgasm or did I not? For women, it's a little bit different. Orgasms are nice, but they're not it. It's not the thing that they necessarily uh, equate to sexual satisfaction because women can have uh, a, a lot of pleasure, a lot of satisfactory sex and not necessarily orgasm with uh, on a particular, on a given day, for example, or, or what have you. Many factors go into whether a woman orgasms or doesn't. So there's that to to consider. So it's a little bit different in terms of um, men and women in that way. And then as, as people get older, what I find interesting is that orgasm for older men becomes less and less important. They, sometimes they don't even orgasm, but they still enjoy it. The pleasure is there. It's just not equal to, it's like enjoyment doesn't equal whether they had an orgasm or didn't. So at some point, men and women kind of join up and are pretty similar in terms of their uh, their sexuality, five one four eight hundred. If you uh, if you have a question yourself, um, what is femdom? F e m d o m. Is it good? Any problem in practicing it? What are the pros and cons of femdom? So the term refers to female domination. Often it's interchangeable with the word. Uh, dominatrix and um, basically it's about being in a submissive uh, role in in a relationship. Um, the term comes from where the 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 usually the man is um, like acting towards his partner and wanting to please, the the goddess the sees the female as the goddess basically uh, and putting more efforts into uh, pleasing their partner than uh, than themselves so it's really um, it's really it becomes about her but it, again there's no pro or con or anything like this this is a sexual preference for some people. Um, it, it falls within the category of BDSM. It falls within the, the submission domination stuff that we often talk about. 
Uh, you can find all kinds of information online about this. So it really is a sexual preference. And if as the only thing is you need, it, it needs to be practiced safely with somebody uh, you're comfortable with, with uh, consent, uh, safe words, all these things. And usually people who are in this world have that kind of communication established. So uh, that's really important. You know, we've all heard about, well, maybe most of us have heard about safe words. What's a safe word? It's a word that you and your partner agree upon so you see where there has to be conversation uh, about the rules, about what you're, what's comfortable, what's not, what you want to do, what you don't want to do, and then establish a safe word, meaning like you, you let's say you pick yellow as your safe word, that it you say it when you want an activity to stop, and there is great respect, and it's very important that we that that is uh, understood that there is a respect for each other's boundaries and our comfort level and if something becomes uncomfortable then we have to be able to say our the the safe word which basically means stop and it stops right there okay Um, so if if all that's practiced uh, with all those kinds of rules then there really is uh, no uh, no issue there coming up what are men really paying for when they pay for sex is it just the sex uh, study shows it's far more than that. So we'll talk about that after. From the pleasure and the politics to the hangups and the heartbreak, you're listening to Passion, CJD 800. What are men really paying for when they pay for sex? This was an article written by a colleague, uh, Dr. Sarah Hunter Murray, who's been a guest on the show, I want to talk to you about this. And uh, of course, if you have any thoughts about any of the the articles I'm talking about or any of the subjects, then I would love to get uh, your thoughts on that at 514-800. So new research explores the emotional labor involved in sex work. So uh, is paid sex simply a physical act or are those who pay for sex getting something more out of the sexual experience? So this is a a new study published in the Journal of Sex Research. So again, this is a uh, peer-reviewed journal. So it's, uh, you know, it's already been vetted and, and all of that. So this study interviewed 43 men, um, who had paid for sex. These were cisgendered men living in uh, South Africa. Participants were between 22 and 67 years old. So this is what they found. Approximately one quarter of men in this study indicated that the first time they paid for sex was also their first sexual encounter. So they were paying for sex basically as a means um, of losing uh, their virginity. These men tended to describe being a virgin as something negative or embarrassing. Whether they were in their late teens or early 20s, they said they felt they were too old to be a virgin and wished to rid themselves of the title. Typically, these men describe feeling shy and nervous when talking to or approaching women in real life. They said paid sex offered them a space where they could overcome their insecurities and low self-esteem and sidestep their awkwardness in approaching women while still being able to lose their virginity. 
Then some men in the study described feeling immense pressure when dating in which the first sexual encounter felt like a performance that could either make things more serious or end a relationship altogether. They feared that if a woman did not want to see him again after having sex, it was interpreted as being a result of a poor sexual performance on his end. In that sense, sex in the early stages of a relationship was riddled with the potential for rejection. So paid sex, in contrast, allowed for a shared understanding of what was and what was not going to follow sex. Both the man paying for sex and the sex worker understood the nature of the transaction and there were no misunderstandings about there being a potential future together. Another one is about uh, sexual uh, skills. Um, In the context of paid skills, uh, of paid sex, men in the study described that these pressures of having to be sexually skilled decreased. When having sex with a sex worker, men said they did not worry about being sexually inexperienced. They said they felt less compelled to put on a performance than they might feel with a woman they were dating or hooking up with. Uh, Men not only described not feeling pressure to be sexually skilled with a sex worker, they indicated that the sex worker was expected to have sexual skills. So some men indicated that through paid sex, they actually could learn new sexual skills that they might use with other women in other uh, circumstances. Another uh, reason, paid sex was also described as giving some men a non-threatening context where they felt safe to engage in sex despite their sexual concerns, including the fear of being unable to have an erection. Men indicated that they felt more comfortable asking for specific needs to be met in order to have or maintain their erections without the feelings of vulnerability they might otherwise experience with a partner. So the descriptions of having one's sexual needs met was complex, with some men sounding vulnerable or self-conscious about their sexual needs, while others described privileging their own pleasure, sometimes to the point of degrading or dominating the sex worker in the process. So what was the takeaway of all of this? Beyond simply a physical act, the men in the study indicated that paying for sex included paying for a place to manage their anxieties and vulnerabilities, address sexual problems, and avoid rejection they might otherwise face in the dating world. Uh, So obviously the findings help us understand a little bit more why men, what men are really buying when they uh, pay for sex. And maybe we underestimate the amount of uh, emotional labor that goes into sex work. So, and if you speak to sex workers, which I have on many occasions, uh, many will say that the men that they see want companionship. They want somebody that they can also talk to uh, without um, without that vulnerability, without fear of rejection, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So there's they are more than just providing a sex service. It seems. Uh, an interesting article on love dolls, but male love dolls. We've talked a lot on the show about sex robots for men, and I've seen the the videos and pictures, and men, they are very real looking. But what about male love robots? I mean, they've been, love dolls are nothing new because we've all heard about them, but the male ones, 
Uh, now they there's one, a male doll that is actually a robot. So in the sex dolls that we talked about, were not so much interactive, right? They were not dolls that you would have a conversation with, uh, unless I missed on on the newest technology in that. But what they're describing here are these male robots that can engage in conversations and interact with you. Uh, they in this article it says it acts like a real man in all of the ways some women say they are missing. So there are now several companies making these love robots, including Real Doll. Real Doll is a company that also makes for uh, the female ones, I believe. These robots are so user-friendly, they leave very little to worry about. For instance, the battery recharges should become a thing of the past. Okay, uh, if that's your biggest worry about recharging its battery, I don't know. <coughs> they are calling this erotic piece of technology, the ultimate pleasure experience. The name vividly describes what the doll will be all about. Considering how advanced this doll will be, some say it will make you have no further use for biological males. Really? I don't know if this is an advertisement for it, but really? Um, Various personalities, traits, qualities, and characteristics will be designed into these dolls so that they can better please the needs of many women all over the world. Essentially, the robot will act just like a regular boyfriend would, but maybe even better. Sure, take your robot to your friend's wedding and see what happens. (laughs) This is crazy to me. Uh, Some upsides to using these dolls include the fact that women feel like they can be lower maintenance. They don't have to put in as much effort into making themselves conform to their real-life partners. It simplifies the whole idea of a relationship by giving you all the perks without having to deal with the hard compromises and downsides. Jeez. So it goes on to say, so ladies, the love life you've always wanted is finally here. The creators of this doll were driven by the need to create a product that would outperform real life males and make women choose them as lovers over, over blood and flesh males. They can give you everything you felt you've been lacking. How about some humanity? <laughs> like This doesn't make any sense to me at all. But if you're a woman and you're listening, w- like... Would you, could you replace a real a real man with a robot a robot man like to me I I really don't know but they go on to say this robot is designed to render real life males obsolete really just like the the robot the female robots are going to make women obsolete come on That's a stretch, just a little stretch. In uh, really big news this week, I'm sure uh, you saw this because it went completely uh, viral. You heard about Trump's new favorite uh, COVID doctor. Uh, She happens to believe in alien DNA, demon sperm, oh yes, and hydroxychloroquine. So... Did you see the tweet? So the video basically was of her talking and a bunch of other, everybody was in white lab coats. So I don't even know, are they real doctors? Like it's hard to believe when you hear what's coming out of her mouth that she's a real doctor. Uh, But nonetheless, um, so that that video went viral. But then of course, uh, Trump um, retweeted it. 
And then uh, in, uh, I guess at some of his press conferences, was uh, defending his tweet, saying he has a lot of faith in this uh, doctor and, you know, he believes in her and blah, 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 blah. But there's another video where you hear her talking about this. You hear her talking about uh, demon sperm making people uh, sick. Uh, She talks about demons that have sex with people in their dreams and they wake up uh, pregnant, fake pregnant or whatever. Like a lot of crazy stuff. I think the craziest part of it is that the president of the United States uh, retweets this as if this is something, as if this is quality, like we should be listening to this person. And that's scary to me. That's scary. But he certainly got a lot of flack for that. Uh, Dr. Lori, women will always need a man. Who's going to paint your house? (laughs) Well, maybe these robots can learn to do a lot of handiwork around the house and that then yes, maybe men will become obsolete. No, I'm kidding. I'm I'm really being facetious. Come on, really? Um, Can we really replace, like, you know, it's a robot. You know that what's coming out of their, whatever mouths, if you call them that, uh, is programmed. (laughs) It's like, it's not real. It's not real. Will people actually feel like they're with a real person? When they're with a robot, that sounds like a little crazy to me. Anyhow, coming up, we'll talk about love lockdown, how to tell if your relationship will survive, and online daters, they tend to delete their apps quite often, but why do they do that? We'll uh, we'll talk about that as well, show you some of the latest research on that. A safe place to work out the kinks in any relationship. It's Passion with CGAD 800's Dr. Lori Batito. Earlier we were talking about why men pay for sex, and here's an interesting text. Uh, I'm 54-year-old divorced male. I started going to escorts when I was 18 because I couldn't find a partner. I had premature ejaculation, so I never had to worry about them judging me. During my marriage, the sex was horrible because I didn't know how to care. Now I date and am ridiculed by women for having sex like a teenager. I'm ruined. How do I start over? You're not ruined. You just have to learn. And um, I'm surprised. I mean, again, usually premature ejaculators tend to make better lovers simply because they focus more on their partner. And that's really what you need to do. Um, focusing on pleasuring your partner. So if 80% of women are more orgasmic through clitoral stimulation, engaging in lots of foreplay and getting them to orgasm first uh, will go a long way. So if you ejaculate within a few minutes of intercourse, it it will matter far less to them when you've already spent time pleasuring them. So you might want to work with a, uh, a sex coach or somebody that can help you um, f- like just discover uh, techniques on how to pleasure uh, somebody. So if you're being ridiculed for having sex like a teenager, I'm assuming 
I mean, sex like a teenager because teenagers are selfish? Like, is that what you, that's what I'm hearing here. Um, but you can absolutely learn different techniques. I, at 54, I would recommend my book, which is the sex Bible for people over 50 in it. There's all kinds of techniques, actually, uh, step by step, uh, techniques on, um, oral sex and, uh, all kinds of stuff, all kinds of stuff is in there. Um, especially for people who are aging. And I, I suppose if you're dating, you may be dating women who are more in your age uh, category. So they may be, uh, postmenopausal. And so there are things that you might want to know. And, and the more information you have, the better lover you're going to be. And the more conversations you can have another, uh, way or staple of being a good lover is being in tune to your partner, opening communication about sexuality, asking your partner what they like, because every partner will be different. If you're always doing the same thing over and over again with different partners, that's not being a good lover. You're just trying to base yourself on particular, uh, uh, ways or tricks or what have you. That's not enough. It's good to know what you're doing, but it's also important to find out what it is that your partner actually wants, what they like, how much foreplay they, uh, they want, how much preparation they need before, uh, having, uh, having intercourse. If your premature ejaculation is still a problem, I would want to assess that to see, because there are things you can absolutely do for that. Um, you can train yourself, you could, uh, use medication for that. So there's research done on this where we can, you can certainly, um, find information on this and, uh, find a way you're definitely not ruined, but you have to put some effort into it. Let's talk about online daters and apps. When I speak to young people, especially, you know, millennials and, and whatnot, but there are also older people who are on apps, obviously all ages. Um, many will tell me that they, um, they go on apps, then they get like Tinder fatigue or something like, like just app fatigue, you know, and then they delete it from their, uh, from their phones. Cause they don't want to be tempted anymore. And then they get bored at some point, they go back on. And so on, off, on, off, this happens, um, quite a bit. So, uh, this research looked at why people decide to, uh, stop with the dating, uh, with the dating apps. So how do you make the decision about when to quit dating online and commit to just one person? This is what this study was looking for to better understand the mechanisms of commitment in online dating and the decision to terminate an account. So this was not just about, um, app fatigue. In other words, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm getting fed up or getting so, you know, turned off by this or turned down. And I just giving up on this more about when you meet somebody and, and what does this all have to do with, uh, your commitment to one person. They found that more intense online dating users desired commitment, but were reluctant to consider abandoning the service online dating services may contribute to this desire to remain active through emails and push notifications designed to retain users and encourage people to return 
to the platform. So remember, they're manipulating you, us, to be able to keep you there, right? Uh, they also observe that the effect of intense online dating use on the intention to terminate an account could be explained by investments. They say it will come as no surprise to many that online dating can be hard work. People often invest a significant amount of time, effort, and even money into the process only to find that many of their relationships never make it off the platform. This suggests that there may be a sunk cost effect causing people to continue dating online after they've identified a suitable match. <laughs> I know there are people who started dating and, and this is a question that comes up often in uh, early dating is, did are you off the apps, right? It, like you both make the decision to terminate your, like take down your profile, which is a, a show of... Uh, of commitment. Uh, so even if people intend to eventually terminate their online dating use, there's also the matter of when. So they asked about the point in the relationship when people plan to delete their online dating accounts. One thing that was striking was the lack of consensus in their responses, with some indicating that they delete their account right away or after just a few dates, while others wanted to wait until they were more sure of their partner and the future of the relationship. For instance, online dating users said that they would discontinue, and here's some answers, if I realize that I don't need to search for someone else, once it is official, the relationship has been defined and titles have been given. Another one says, I would delete it if he asks me to delete it. There were also those who reported that they would wait until much later in the relationship or who mentioned workarounds to deletion, such as hiding their profile or temporarily suspending their account. One person said, if the relationship went as far as engagement, I would remove my account entirely. Another one said, I would immediately delete the app off my phone. Obviously, I could re-download it if at any point things went South. Based on these responses, the researchers suspect that some online daters may find the process of terminating an account difficult to navigate, especially if both partners have different expectations for when it's time to stop searching and commit to the current relationship. So this is clearly an issue that's a modern one, right? Um, and that I think a lot of new couples and couples who meet on apps are actually grappling with. And I, I've seen this where um, it has created conflicts, it's created insecurities and fights when one partner doesn't tell the other that they're still on there and then someone will see it or they discover it and then that's a whole other can of worms, right? And it can create some, some conflict there. Coming up, I want to talk about uh, another another article in the uh, Science of Love. It's called Love Lockdown, How to Tell if Your Relationship Will Survive. So how will couples make it through lockdown? And there are important factors to consider, and I'm going to talk to you about um, looking at those factors and... Uh, and we'll, uh, we'll unpack that together. Love Lockdown, how to tell if your relationship 
will survive. Passion with Dr. Lori Batito on CJAD 800. Anything goes tonight on the program. If you want to talk about uh, something in particular or uh, something that you heard here on the show, would love to hear your thoughts at 514-800. Here's a question I can answer here. I had liked a guy that I talked to on and off, but I am at my breaking point since I suspect that he is lying about being single. He texts me only when it's convenient for him, and he is on Instagram all day chatting with people, and in some instances pays for videos which turn out to be from mainstream porn videos. Is it normal for a man to want to pay for strangers' fake videos when they have a real-life willing woman with the attributes they like? He keeps trying to get my attention every time I try to move on from this player who keeps using me. Listen, if you're feeling used and you're feeling like this person is lying to you and you're feeling like it's not safe and you don't trust him, why are you pursuing this? Why, like, what are you doing? Look at the red flags, you know, if you've got this, this inkling that maybe he is lying to you and it's a gut feeling you have, go with your gut. Why, why keep pushing? Why keep? You know, just because somebody is pursuing you um, doesn't mean you have to accept their advances. Like, you can put a stop to it. Those are your boundaries. Uh, and it's important that you uh, that you have it. Now, you asked about, is it normal for men to want to pay for strangers, blah, blah, blah. Listen, lots of men uh, and women, I suppose, will uh, watch porn, will... I'm surprised he's paying for it. So much is available free these days. Uh, but he may be paying uh, web girl, webcam uh, women uh, who do this for money. And, and so that's a different situation. Maybe that's what you are referring to. But, you know, that could be his fantasies. Maybe maybe he's hooked on that. Maybe this is what gets him going. And real-life girls just don't provide that kind of stimulation. I don't know. I can't really guess what's going on in the guy's head. The only thing I do know from what you're telling me is you are uncomfortable with it. So if you're uncomfortable with it, why aren't you moving on? Like, there are other fish in the sea. Why are you persisting? That's, I don't know if anybody else thinks differently, but feel free to uh, help out this individual. Let, Let our passion community go into high gear right now. 514 to uh, to text in. So, of course, a lot of people are in relationships now. There are uh, couples who have been in, in lockdown together. Uh, and I love this article because it talks about uh, the science behind what, the how, um, basically the science to determine how couples make it through uh, through the lockdown and they look at um, the key factors that affect how relationships fare during these kinds of times right and it's not the first time in history we've had these kinds of times but so there's a model called the vulnerability stress adaptation model which has three factors that affect relationship outcomes whether you stay together don't stay together These are vulnerabilities, stressors, 
and adaptations. So vulnerabilities are the kinds of factors that just make it harder for a person to maintain enduring and satisfying uh, relationships and things like mental health issues, uh, certain personality traits, uh, you know, bad past relationships, addictions, things like that. Those would be your vulnerabilities. Next would be the stressors. These are challenging life events and experiences that are external to the relationship, but still put a strain on maintaining a lasting and satisfying bond. So we're talking about things like financial hardship and work stress and uh, maybe difficult relationships with uh, extended family and things like that. The third factor is adaptations. Adaptations uh, refers to the skills and capabilities couples have to effectively deal with and adapt to challenging circumstances. So these can be like your sense of fun or sense of humor, constructive ways of handling conflict, solving problems, the ways you support one another and such. Stressors and vulnerabilities increase negative relationship behaviors such as criticism and insensitivity, and in turn, increase negative relationship outcomes. Being You'd be more dissatisfied with your relationship, the potential of relationship breakdown. That makes sense, right? Stressors, vulnerabilities. And obviously, the better adaptations you have, the more you have buffers the, that, that would buffer the effects of the stress and reduce the risk of relationship breakdown. So if you look at COVID-19 and what's been happening, they have put this in that model, right? And what they say here is the social distancing rules enforced during the pandemic have led couples to spend long periods of time together, often in close quarters. We've had months of that already, right? Months. Uh, Accounts from across the world reveal that not all couples have adjusted well. China reported an increase in the number of married couples filing for divorce. Incidents of domestic abuse have uh, increased. Uh, Lengthy periods of close contact may have acted as a stressor that intensified negative relationship behaviors and dissatisfaction, particularly for people with existing personal vulnerabilities. So again, the stressors, the vulnerabilities, right? The changes associated with all of these guidelines and rules like working from home and having kids being homeschooled and things like that are additional stressors, which of course can also exacerbate personal vulnerabilities, which then can lead to destructive relationship behaviors for couples. Um, Some people, some couples may have been able to keep their relationship stable, provided that the stress of all of this, the COVID-related stuff, uh, remained low or that supports are in place to minimize the stress. So think about, all of this is to get you to think about the ways that you as a couple adapt to outside challenges in your uh, relationship. It doesn't mean that even if you're a high-functioning couple, Um, you still get hardships, but how well do you cope with the challenges of, let's say, all the social restrictions and all the other COVID-19 hardships? If the stressors become too great, 
then obviously um, relationship satisfaction can be uh, can go uh, can go down. So they say the ideal is people in loving and supportive relationships are likely to cope more effectively with the enforcement and relaxation of social distancing guidelines and other challenges. These are typically couples who constructively deal with conflict. We all want to strive for this, by the way, by working together towards solving issues, take on each other's perspectives and respond sensitively when the other person is feeling stressed. Doesn't mean they never argue and don't sometimes get frustrated, but they have adaptive ways of communicating and supporting each other, which makes it far, far better and much better chance of surviving, um, especially during the pandemic. So hopefully that helps a little bit. Um, <coughs> Hi, Dr. Lori, no subject to bring up. Just want to say I like your voice so much I could listen to you read the, the phone book. <laughs> That's very kind of you. <laughs> Uh, if they ever create a male sex robot that looks like and sounds like Chris Hemsworth, it will be the end of the human species. <laughs> uh, yeah, possibly, possibly. Uh, and another texter, you are 110% right. This guy is not exclusive dating type. Oh, this is for the lady who wrote in. Your intuition is right. Don't waste your time and get your heart broken. Leave him alone. You can do far better. So there you go from someone from our passion community. That's it. My voice is giving out. I, I don't know about you, but I have like horrible allergies and they are like in high gear. And every time I get these allergic like reactions, I'm thinking <gasps> COVID. I get very, very nervous. And I'm sure uh, many other people are feeling the same thing. Like the minute there's a sniffle, it's like, oh no. So I apologize if my voice has been cracking throughout the evening. So thank you for your patience. Uh, thank you to uh, Jimmy Garofalis as well, our wonderful technical producer. Thanks to our passion researcher, Linda DeLisi. And thanks to all of you, really, for, uh, for tuning in and spending your time with me. You can connect with me on social media at Dr. Lori Batito or through my website, drlori.com, where the podcasts of all the past shows are also available. Coming up next year on CJD, we bring you the CTV National News. Have a great rest of the evening, a fabulous weekend. Please stay safe and remember to live your life with passion. All right.